Hey everyone, it's your friendly Elo Punk, and we're back with another extras episode all about security. Now, I think that you guys are in for a real treat today because I am going to be joined by one of my newest friends, and it's someone whom, even though I just met a little while ago, I have already learned so much from them through blog posts, through just their Twitter account. Okay, I'm, I guess, already getting to the point where I'm speaking for someone else. So why don't I go ahead and introduce you to my new friend? Well, first of all, Elle, thanks for having me on. Um, my name is Bryson Bort. Uh, I was a former Army officer, and I founded a few companies. So uh, Grim, which is a consultancy that does a lot of security engineering. I founded that about seven years ago. Um, spun a product company out of that. That's my full-time job now called Scythe. And then um, me and a buddy named Tom Van Norman, uh, we co-founded a nonprofit called the ICS Village. Uh, ICS is Industrial Control Systems. So we build critical infrastructure exhibits and we take that around to different conferences to educate folks on uh, the security risks around critical infrastructure, which is, you know, your lights, your water, and all the things that underpin modern life. When you're doing this, is this kind of capture the flag style, or is it more talk style, or kind of how, what do you focus on? Uh, so for the ICS Village, it depends on the conference. Um, probably the best example is DEF CON. It's a three-day event, and us, along with a number of the companies that work with us, bring and put together all of these exhibits that are hands-on. And so they provide, particularly uh, with the podcast like this, you're looking at, you know, how do you get started with something? And everything that we build for the village and all of my companies has to pass what I call the spouse test, which is if somebody walked up and has never turned on a computer in their entire life, there's a set of instructions there that if they start to follow it, they can start to see something happen. Um, and so in the ICS village, you can start to do something and be like, oh, okay, so I now know how a programmable logic controller works, a PLC, and how it's controlling the actuation for the chemical processing that's happening here. And ah, I see it changing colors, so I understand how that all came to play. Uh, and then on top of that, we hold our own stable of talks. So different experts in the space come in and talk about different principles of what they've seen in the space. And then on top of that, we do a capture the flag, um, and the capture of the flag is uh, point style. And we have a multidisciplinary approach. So even if you really are brand new to the whole space, there'll be open systems intelligence challenges there, there'll be tutorial challenges there, um, things that anybody could do to get started and still compete. Um, and then, of course, it goes much deeper down into the very deep end of the pool with some very difficult reverse engineering and exploitation challenges for the, the big points. I have to admit, that was one of the biggest reasons of why I was excited to talk to you is the more that I researched and have to admit, I did, you know, my open source gathering of information, my OSINT, you know, who is this guy? I got really excited that you've always seemed to have an educational approach about everything you do. Like with your B-sides talk, that is something that I could have sat my mom down to and been like, all right, mom, if you're going to use these cameras, sit down and listen to this because you need to be aware of these things. The talk that Elle is mentioning is um, a talk I've been giving for the last three years on IoT, which is the Internet of Things. Pretty much anything that's not a traditional computer, but that you're wearing or that's in things in your house, that's, that's IoT. And the thing that frustrated me about it was, one... I think this is a flaw in our industry in general, is that everybody was very focused on the 
the hardcore technical components of that. Like I'm going to reverse engineer this IoT device, um, like a Nest camera or um, something, and I'm going to show this this exploit and show how they're all vulnerable. And what I try to show in my talk is it's not even that hard. Um, there's so much that's non-technically available, um, the ability to do it at scale. And the fact is that um, most of what we've seen in the press is around how devices are um, are these creepy elements of somebody's going to take over my web camera and, and look at me coming out of the shower. And the reality is that while that that can happen, the more likely threat is that they are, since they are just promulgating exponentially through our environment, they create all this surface area for vectors to attack things that are of interest. And like I do in my um, talk, I show how you can steal tax forms and bank accounts and things like that by being able to do this. And then I made sure to show step-by-step step all the pieces of how you could do this, provide an open source lab so somebody can then replicate this at home. And I emphasize very much on your own devices at home. This is not a, a, a license to do something illegal. <laughs> and learn it for yourself. And I think that's, again, like I said, I think it's too often the problem where I, I've given many, many talks now, and I kind of joke I'm on the speaker circuit where you, you just go from conference to conference and speaking. And I still get intimidated by, I'm afraid that somebody's going to come up and be like, ah, I wasn't technical enough. And what I've found is we don't need to be proving ourselves to do something that's so hard so much as we just need to be constantly offering something that's an educational and a teaching moment. And the best way to do that is to talk to the lowest common denominator and make it very easy for everybody to understand what you're doing and grow from that. One of the problems that we have in the industry is that when we do conferences, we have a lot of people who come in and speak in the abstract. You know, whenever I was learning about privilege escalation, I would get these big, you know, thought out plans of the way that somebody could get into your firewall and now they own your entire company. I think your talk was one of the first where I could see, hey, me sitting at home, somebody gets my camera, then they get this. And I start understanding what it means to have privilege escalation or pivoting. These real world concepts are what help solidify a lot of the basics for people who are starting out. It needs to be kinesthetic. You need to be able to do it yourself. This is part of what I like about what we do with the nonprofit is, okay, what's a PLC? What's an HMI? What's a DCS? Like These are all these words, and you can show me a hierarchy that shows me how those things tie together. I'm not going to remember it once you finish talking, right? But if I get the chance to put my hands on it and see the literal lights go off or the water stop running or change color or whatever those like the physical elements of it that's what i like about the critical infrastructure pieces it's very easy to understand the physical components because that's what makes them industrial control systems is they're affecting our physical world and it's really hard to do that a lot with software because it's like all right um i'll tell you uh, for example in offensive security one of the ways that we've always demonstrated something is we pop up the calculator on a computer and it's like, see, you have to trust me that all these other things happened. That's why the calculator is popping up. Because other than that, the whole point of a demonstration of offensive security is you don't see it. It's transparent to the user. I have taken control of your computer and you don't know that. It's abstract and it's difficult to demonstrate. With that in mind and all of the education components in place, let's kind of transition to Scythe and what the company actually does. Because I have to admit, it was new to me. I kind of just found you browsing through Reddit, or not through Reddit, through Twitter. 
And I was really entertained about how not seriously you all take yourselves. You're, you're very playful to community. You're interactive, which to me was really nice. But if somebody hasn't heard about you guys, what do you do? How you and I met on Twitter, L, is I think a funny story. So it started with me being tagged in with um, a reference to unicorns. And then I reached out to you and I was just like, hey, so you're into unicorns. We started talking about that. And where that all began is a few years ago, Grim would do an annual t-shirt design for DEF CON. And I came up with this idea of, wouldn't it be really funny of having the Grim Reaper with a unicorn? And it just took off. And then shortly after that, we launched Scythe. And I was really excited that I had this cool design that everybody was talking about. And if folks would like to see the design and potentially uh, purchase the t-shirt for a good cause, we partnered with Johnny Long over at iHack Charities. They provide computers to underserved populations. You know, kind of the same thing with how do folks get started into IT. Um, that's what they do for um, uh, folks uh, primarily in Africa. So then Scythe launches, and I'm like, all right, this is great. I'm going to use this design. And everyone was like, yeah, that's grim. That's grim. That's grim. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Scythe. Scythe. <laughs> See, they're so different, and obviously they're they're not, and that was a problem. So we realized the unicorn was a hit. So we spent a lot of time coming up with our cute little unicorn that wears the carries the scythe around, um, which is in multiple colors and multiple designs. And then I started dressing up as a unicorn at conferences and while I was giving talks. So the B sides Las Vegas IoT talk that you mentioned, I wasn't. But if you look at the B sides Washington D.C. IoT talk, uh, I did the whole thing in a my unicorn onesie, and so that's how we first met, and that that ties into the branding of our platform Scythe, which uh, we plan on launching our own herd of unicorns next month at RSA. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'll start with what is Scythe, since that's the question. We'll get there eventually. It's okay. <laughs> There's just so much and so much to the story. Scythe is a red team platform. And what was special about it is we broke down all the pieces of what an attacker can do into discrete components, which helps you to, one, um, it only puts together the things that you want to do. And then it's a very simple workflow to automate how to use it. So... What this allows is if you're in IT or you're a blue team, you don't have time to go spend the months to learn to do offensive security. And our platform is like WordPress for malware. Whatever kind of bad person you want to be, you just click a few buttons and then it creates it for you and it'll do what you tell it to do. And you don't have to understand all the complexity of what's underneath it. On the other hand, if you're a complex advanced red team, that level is doesn't isn't isn't going to work for you. But the way today's red teaming is done is, I think, I think is fundamentally broken. It rewards rock star individual effort doing what I call surgical strikes on an enterprise because they can't measure the entire enterprise. They don't have the time, or the, it's too expensive, or there's risk. So they focus on a few things. They get in through one of those holes, and then going back to you talking about privilege escalation. They do privilege escalation to get administrative privileges. They look for the domain, they own the domain, and then they're done. And it's like, okay, so you won again. What's the value to the business? How does that tie to the business? What threat were you actually emulating that I'm going to see in the real world? Um, and you, you missed the whole scope of my company. So that's what our platform does for them is it's an easy way for them to now have a common operational 
and development standard because they can build their own extensions. And now they spend, instead of 80% of their time refactoring the code to do similar testing, they spend that 80% of time building out the edge of what they need to test. And the platform does the grunt work for them and enables them to now launch multiple campaigns under control against the entire enterprise simultaneously. Okay, I'm going to have you break it down just even a little further because some of us are really new. Um, because when I first started looking at your platform on your website, the first thing that I thought about was, you know, the movie War Games. And I'm thinking, you know, is this what it looks like? Do I have my team of blue teamers sitting by, you know, ready to defend my network? Or do I have my, you know, red team learning from the platform? Like, if I am a company who is deploying this, what does the scenario look like whenever we launch for the first time? We include what we call... Um the coloring book to help people get started. And it's funny because we've also created a coloring book so you can color in all the different unicorns. Um, I think this is the playful side that you were, you were commenting on. Um, we like to have fun and we like to poke fun at ourselves. And what we do there is, is kind of an orientation of, all right, so what's a classic campaign to start with? And it starts with phishing. Phishing is where 90 to 95% of all attacks originate. And the reason for that is that the cost to send one malicious email is relatively negligible to sending one billion emails. It doesn't really cost me that much more. So I'm just going to continue to, to email you. And the problem with today's phishing training and phishing defenses is that they're meant to train the user to not click something. So you're trying to convince people to not use a computer for what it was built for. But they're supposed to be more aware about it's 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 a slippery slope, and I think it's it's unfair. Yes, there's certainly dumb things you should not click on, but sophisticated campaigns work because numbers are on their side. And so what we do is we show, okay, so let's create a campaign and you do that in the platform, and you can look like IT help desk, you can look like Google, whatever whatever the whatever those are, we have a number of templates. It'll send to all the employees that you load those email addresses. But the difference here is instead of, hey, you just click something that's bad, now it's going to include a custom adversarial campaign to it. So what that means is we've created what we call synthetic malware. So in this case, let's say it's a ransomware campaign. And we've seen ransomware a lot lately in the last couple of years. And so this particular ransomware campaign, when it somebody clicks on it, is going to download and immediately create arbitrary files and encrypt those. And now what we've done is we've simulated all the aspects of a fish to a ransomware campaign. We have, this is completely transparent to the user other than they were a part of the click of the fish. What happens on their computer doesn't affect them, so they continue to work. But back on the security side, we can see all those elements of, all right, what happened? Where did the controls break down? When should we have identified that this happened? How do we keep it from spreading? Because the ransomware can also um, spread laterally through the network. And so you now have the ability to control the whole dial of uh, an offensive campaign under your, you know, your microscope to see what could we have done where and where can we make it better. And then you can validate that. And you can do that easily. As a former sysadmin, part of me kind of just cringes at that last part because you don't know how many times we would get just 100-page pen test reports where they're like, this is what went wrong, fix it. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting there going like, first of all, 
I don't even know your infrastructure. Like I know your website, you know, website. Yep. Just in general, how would somebody go about, you know, really dealing with the end report? Like this is what occurred. Now what's the next step? I think you're hitting on the, again, where I see the problem with today's pen testing and red teaming. And how many CISOs do you go to? And they're like, great. You're going to add more to the pile of things I already know. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, man. I needed that. Um, we already know we have vulnerabilities. You're just telling me there's more. And there's sort of that fatigue of, I get a long list of things. I get very little context for the most part. And it's just here. Here's the dictionary of problems. Have fun. And you, L, sit there and go, ah. <laughs> the problem with that is that there's no business context to it. Here's a technical problem. Okay, what does it mean? Is it important? Is it not important? Well, the CVSS says it's critical. Well, is it? Is it critical to my business? Do I really need to care about this? And that's what we help illustrate is we provide context. So, okay, here's 30,000 vulnerabilities. I pick that as an arbitrary number. That's a number I hear a lot from. That seems to be the average number that CISOs have. Wow. And the problem is they have no context for it. Do those 30,000 vulnerabilities actually matter? We constantly are talking about the concept of defense in depth, which is I have multiple systems and controls to protect me. So because something's vulnerable here doesn't mean it matters. Or if it's vulnerable, here's, a, here's an example. Um, let's say I send a fish to Joe and he clicks on it and we completely scorch his computer to the ground, but it turns out Joe doesn't matter. Like, I never get anywhere from that. But L, when you click on my fish, I get all of the customer financial data. So we already have a priority tied into the company of who's more important or what could be done from their systems. And that's critical to being able to look at, here's the report. So that's, that's the context that we give with this. Plus, on top of that, where you were talking about, okay, you gave me this report, now what? With ours, you get the actual technical product of what did that. So you get that synthetic malware and you could be like, all right, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test this on my own. And you don't have to understand how it works because it's all already built into it. So it, you just put it in the environment that you want to test your remediations or whatever you've done. And you'd be like, all right, that worked, that didn't work. And I can see why or, or where. Throughout this, we've kind of thrown around the terms, you know, red team and blue team. And we did a whole special on threat hunting where we covered that. The way you describe the way teams and enterprises would work with your product, it really does bring the idea of that purple team into focus. And I know that recently y'all had a blog post that we'll link to on the show notes called The Purple Team, Organization or Exercise. And I wanted to kind of bring that up because I think that that might be maybe what your, your approach is to the solution is to kind of just let's get rid of this purple-red concept and train our teams as one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that there's a there's been a cultural divide between them in the past, and I think that's been to the detriment of everyone. At the end of the day, uh, one of the talks I give on adversarial adversarial emulation, I think, which really ties to the crux of your podcast, is you don't have to be technically smart; you just have to be clever. And one example I give of that is: all right, let's say I build something up to test with. And I want to test to make sure that my application whitelisting works. All right, so I'm going to build a number of XEs, and I'm going to try to see if I can get those XEs to run at across the environment. And then I validate, okay, application whitelisting works. Now, do I need some sort of clever technical answer or O'Day to 
defeat the application whitelisting in my system? Or can I now just whitelist the executables that I want to now validate the next control in my environment? They both accomplish the same thing, and one does not require a whole bunch of technical sophistication to do it. I don't need to actually do all of the funding and resourcing of a nation state to look like I'm doing what a nation state can do. And that's where I think that purple team works really well because it's not the red team running off in isolation and coming back at the end with a full report. It's the red team working with the blue team saying, okay, what do we want to do together? And we're going to do this in phases. So the application whitelisting is phase one. We tried that. Here are the results. Now, blue team, we're going to work with you. We're going to move the test past that. And we're going to just keep doing this in this collaborative staged fashion. And I think there's a lot more learning and business result that comes out of that. I might be asking maybe a little too much from you for this next question, but how do organizations, how do we as a community help kind of heal that that ridge, help heal that divide that's happened? Because it feels like, you know, we talk about Purple Team and people talk about it theoretically. And we still, you know, at conferences everywhere, we have Red Team Village, you know, Blue Team Village. But if you want to learn both, it, it becomes like a waterfall, overwhelming amount of information that you need to know, which I think is just causing so much burnout. This is where I play a unicorn. I'm not actually one. I don't have the magic powers to just wave my horn, I guess, and poof, solve that. I don't know that there's an easy answer, L. Um yeah, I think it's one of those generational changes, and I, I refer that more into process and culture than any particular age group, um, where I think it's going to be something over the next five to 10 years, we see more and we see more of it, and the value becomes clearer. To be frank, it's the same kind of thing that Red Team itself had to go through. I mean, IT didn't start with Red Team. IT didn't even start with Blue Team. In the beginning, the world was sysadmins, and then we started creating specialties from there as uh, information technology became more commonplace. And then the concept of the blue team is created. And well, how do you validate what the blue team's doing? Well, you, you need a red team. And then, well, how do we get them to work better? And we're now at that, that cusp of the maturity model where them working together with the purple team is the answer. The only example I can really think of uh, is there's a SANS instructor named George Orchias, and he has built a two-day purple team class and so I don't know if there are other ones out there, but I, I know his and I've seen the materials and it's a great start for um, beginning to really train folks on that. This is the last question I'm going to put you on the line with, I promise. But let's say that I like have somebody like myself. I, I'm new to security, probably six month worth of experience, kind of looking to get that first job. What would you recommend that you know myself and others really focus our training on, really focus kind of where we're going to spend our time if we do hope to become blue team, red team, purple team? So there is a blue team village. I don't know how much they're doing online, but I do know in person they're a great resource for different kinds of talks and technical challenges to teach that stuff. But I know the, the problem for everyone is, all right, that's great. Thanks, Bryson, for telling me I need to figure out where to get the money and the time to go fly somewhere and go to one of these conferences. Um, and I think that's where B-Sides is a good answer. There's almost every single community has a B-Sides conference, uh, which what Jack Daniels and company have set up there is fantastic with really providing a grassroots community-level piece uh, the reason I always push that is I believe in the the human element of all of this. It's more than just technical understanding. It's building the relationships, getting the chance to have somebody to talk to. Um, and that's also going to lead to that first job offer and opportunity. 
Um, I mean, we we all know this that the, the the best way to get a job is through a warm reference as opposed to trying to respond to Monster. Is is Monster even still around? I don't know. Um, LinkedIn probably now. <laughs> LinkedIn, yeah, LinkedIn job request where you know recruiters harass you for terrible three month contract jobs across the world. I I don't want to dodge the the question of like what can I do at home, but I just think that that part is so important and there is the opportunity at something in in somebody's community anywhere in the the United States to find uh, somebody else to talk to and ask those questions and start to build those relationships and get some hands on stuff with what's online with like again like things like the Blue Team Village. Um, critical thinking I think is a lost art that a lot of folks take for granted. Because at the end of the day, what Blue Team is doing is trying to look for patterns where the adversary is intentionally trying to blend in with those patterns. And so just being able to have the thinking at a high level to start to look for that and drive that, um, then when you start getting exposed to analyst tools, that's more important than what you're going to be doing with the tools themselves. If somebody is listening in, and I've already told everybody that you're really approachable, and they'd like to reach out with, you know, maybe further questions or clarifications, what's the best way for them to be able to get a hold of you? I am active on Twitter. I do reach out to to folks where I cross on, on Twitter where it seems like there's something. Um, so I'm at Bryson Bort on Twitter. I can attest that you will answer. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. And I will make sure to link to B-Sides in our show notes because it's last that I checked. There's what, over 500 of them going on right now? Yeah. I don't know how many concurrent ones there are, uh, but there are a lot of them. And then also with what DerbyCon Communities has been doing um, with incubating more conferences, which also ties into the B-Sides community. Uh, so I think there's just going to be more and I think it's going to be great. Thanks so much again. And everyone, if you're listening, you can find links to everything we talked about at extras.show.